Uh, this is Dave Broadbeck sitting here in my, what I euphemistically call a podcasting studio, but it's actually the uh, room I do podcasts in. It's not really a studio. It's my daughter's old bedroom. That is neither here nor there. Uh, the following lecture is from psychology 3926 slash 4926. Special topics in cognitive psychology, animal cognition. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, so, uh, right, animal communication, this is kind of a fun one, um, kind of like the social learning one in some respects, because it's stuff that you probably don't tend to think of non-humans doing. Let's say that. So, um, animals actually spend a lot of time communicating for defense, for mating, uh, where food sources are, right? So defense, when, 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 I, when you walk by someone's house and they have a dog that barks at you, it's communicating to you. Right? Mating displays are communication. There's a sender and a receiver. Uh, food sources, animals do food calls. Chickens do food calls. I've talked about that. Okay? So, you know, this, it, it's a thing. It's not like this is something... So that's two communication. So I'm not necessarily talking about the Horta in Star Trek saying, no kill I. Thank you. Devil in the dark. So communication, we just need a sender and a receiver. Once we have a sender and a receiver, we've got communication, and we can study it. So as usual, we can talk about evolutionary sort of change over time, which we'll do today when I talk about the honeybee dance language. Uh, we can talk about the adaptive value of that, and then we can also talk about mechanism of this. So we can look at this from a functional standpoint and also from a causal standpoint. We can also look at mechanism. So the way you should understand any characteristic is to understand both the evolutionary angle and the mechanistic angle. Hopefully, we can do both. For those of you listening in on the internet that aren't in this class, there's constant banging noises. And I think it's the ghost of Frank Underwood on House of Cards. Has anybody seen episode one yet of season six? Right. This is where I take a moment and I speak just to the audience and I say something horrible. It's kind of good, though. It's one of the few cases, like, they killed the guy off, and it's good they killed him because he was a horrible person. That show, nothing with the class. Anyways, there's noises. They're renovating things by rhythmically tapping. So, honeybee dance language. Let's just jump into some examples here. Um, in animal behavior last year, I mentioned this, but I don't think we spent any time on it because I don't think we had time. Oh, yeah, because last year my, my, my eye infection and it screwed up all my whole courses. I kept going, I can't teach today because I. My left eye's on fire. It's a lovely time. So honeybees communicate spatial locations, food locations, to each other using <coughs> dance. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but dance. They dance. They're dancing bees. Okay. So the function of this is to communicate the location of food source to other hive members. Right? Hundreds, perhaps thousands of bees in a beehive. And the drones go out 
The foragers go out, they find food, and then they go back and they tell their sisters, or in fact their super sisters, that this is where food is, go get it. And remember the hive? You can almost think of a youth social insect nest as, a, as, a, as an organism. Almost. So a discussion on the hive. Yeah, but it's, like, it's kind of like that. I mean, what they're doing, you would only share information like this to relatives. There's no way in the real world you would share this with non-relatives, right? It wouldn't make any sense. Except that you're so related to your sisters by 0.75, not just 0.5, that it makes even more sense. So there's something special going on in there. And yeah, hive mine, and if you want to go that far, but there's definitely, the free sharing of information isn't something that would happen unless you have at least a family, and here you have this family where you have super sisters. Um, so the hive members interpret the dance, so it is in fact interpretive dance, though it's very rigid, it's not really interpretive dance. It's, And then they can go out in the right direction, right distance, and find food. And remember the Gould experiment where they come back and they do dance saying there's food in the middle of the river and another sister's going, no, there's not. That can't be a thing. Yeah? Can do you, you know if there's any uh, geographical variation in these dances? Uh, it's more species variation. Okay. And there's geographic variation in what the species love. But the classics of a European honeybee, they all dance like this. And that's what we're talking about here. I'm going to talk about other bees in a sec. But when we reconstruct the evolution of this, there doesn't seem to be much difference. Um, there's some very cool things. You, I don't want to steal my thunder, so I'll get to the very cool things in a second. Uh, this was all discovered in the 60s and the 50s. In fact, even using, getting to the point of using mechanical bees, little mechanical bees to dance for bees, and they follow the mechanical bee. Unless it's to walk. It's pretty cool. It also shows that bees are stupid and can't recognize robots. So, okay. If a food source is less than about 50 meters away, bees do what's called a round dance. Remember, these are always females. Males, there's one um, brood of males hatched right near the end of the season, and their sole job is to go find queens to mate with. They don't do anything else, and they're stupid. They have no stingers. No, they're really dumb. I have a buddy who did his PhD thesis on, on male, bee, male bee timing behavior and spatial behavior. They're just stupid. <laughs> they have one function. They're sperm carriers. All, that's, what's, that's what males are for in most animals. No, really, honestly. Males are there to allow for genetic diversity because there are parthenogenetic animals, right? Arizona whiptail lizard. They just give... They hatch lay, uh, eggs that are just clones of themselves. Yep. How long do the males live? Three weeks. But that's about how long females live. <laughs> so, uh, queens last a long time. Right. So, the number of circuits they do, okay, they just they go in a circle. The number of circuits they do in a given unit time tells them how far away a food source is. So if it's less than 50 meters, they're not telling you direction. They're just saying it's about 20 meters away, there's food. So no direction is inform or directional information is given with the round dance. So there's your round dance. Just go in a circle. 
Why does this page look yellowed that I scanned this from? Because it is from a book I used as an undergraduate and I called it Smoking Water. It's old, it's just because it's old. But it's a nice, nice description, nice uh, diagram. So that's an uninteresting, it's interesting enough. They're telling direction, or sorry, distance. What about direction and distance? So now we get more than 50 meters away, we get the waggle dance. And which sounds like, I believe that's the name of a, an Australian children's entertainment group. That's the Wiggles. The Wiggles, thank you. Um, so this gives redundant sources of dis distance information. Number of circuits they do. Kind of like the round dance. And they do, they waggle. When they get to a st the straight parts, they do a, uh, I'm di diagram this in a second. And the number of sound bursts per unit time. So they buzz. Bzz, bzz. Because they're bees, that's what they do. They and these are all proportional to the distance that the food is from them. And there's a, there's a round part of this dance and a straight line part of this dance. And the straight line part of the dance gives the direction. Okay? And the way that works is in the beehive, Okay. Up, gravity-wise, you know, is where the sun is in the sky. Okay, so up is where the sun is in the sky. So if they go on an angle of ten degrees off from straight up, that means ten degrees from where the sun is right now in this direction. That's the direction and the distance. I've told you four different ways, three different ways to get the, di the distance. That's how they can find where the food is. Okay. So I think we have a picture here. I think they do. So this is actually pretty neat. So here we go. So in the hive, it looks like this. Okay, so that's straight up. That's where the sun is. And there's the angle they do their waggles on. So they go a, a circuit, and then they do the waggle part here, the straight part, and then they do the circle again. Okay? Number of circuits they do the number of waggles in a unit time, number of waggles they do per unit time, and the number of times they buzz all together are all proportional to the distance. The angle, the waggle portion of the dance is off from straight up and down is the angle the food source is from the sun. If you force honeybees to dance in, not in their, uh, in their hive, but just out on a piece of, you know, the drawing, a lovely textured piece of wood, they'll just go right, they'll, they'll, they'll actually use the sun. They'll use the sun if they're doing it outside their eye. They don't typically do it outside their eye. You can make them. So it's time sensitive? Yeah, to a point, I guess. Yeah, I really thought about that, but yeah, it must be. Because it's not going to be like, because tomorrow, well, tomorrow's not a good example. It's nectar, it actually probably does replenish. In a couple hours, that food, all, all the um, nectar in those flowers is gone because the bees ate it all. And nectar doesn't really, I mean, it, it replenishes about once a day. So the bees and other animals that are around that feed on nectar will have, will have emptied a food source. <coughs> you know, for at least a day. So do you understand how that works? Because it's really cool too. It's pretty neat. It's all Von Frisch's work. It's classic animal behavior stuff. 
Okay, so that's behaviorally just neat. So we can, re- can we reconstruct the evolution of dance, uh, the dance language of the honeybees. Oops. Okay, this is work by Lindauer. First of all, all honeybees dance. Now, other aphids dance. The honeybees are Apis mellifera, okay? But Apis floria doesn't use, doesn't do it inside the hive. On top of the hive, there's sort of a flat part, and it's like a dance floor. And that's where the other bees go up there to watch. And you can think about that. That we also know that Apis mellifera comes after Apis floria evolutionarily. That's nice, but also it makes sense that this is a little simpler behavior than doing it inside because if you're up upstairs, you're just going to use the sun. You're just going to use the sun. You, you don't have to use up. Is it's a little less complicated. Up is uh, where the sun is. That's, I mean, so you can see it. It's just another honeybee. Okay. Now, some trigona species, these are older species of, of, of bees, they get really excited and they hum a lot. So what happens is they get back from feeding, they get back to a hive, and they just buzz a lot. And this draws other bees towards them. And in fact, depending on the species, some of these trigona species actually give out some food in the process. So they regurgitate a little bit of nectar. So the other bees get it. And you can think that's probably, in fact, older than the other bees, than, than not giving out nectar. Not, not, Here's a prize. Come with me. Right? And it almost certainly is. I don't know why I found that picture. Just found a picture of a guy with a beard of bees. You ever seen these bees, these guys? What's up with these people? I mean, they're not going to stay. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things that that are that aren't going to be bad for you. You shouldn't do. It's like you say, I'm going to put a bunch of relish in my hair. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you, but you're going to be an idiot. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't put bees all over yourself. It's weird. Um, it's funny when I typed in Trigona B, this came up into Google Images, and I felt like I can't not use that picture. <laughs> so I'm going to use it. Um, oh, what about if you left a scent mark? Okay. And Bellapona, that's another family of bees. They give it pulses of sound. So they show up. They, they get excited, but then they give up these pulses of sound. The pulses of sound are proportional to how far, of course, how far away the food source is. And then they kind of lead them out. Come with me, come with me. And the bees are like, okay, that was three zzz. That's got to be 60 meters. I'll follow her 60 meters. So these are some Melopona bee. I don't know which one. I just, again, typed in Melopona bee. And that's what I found on Google Image Search. I'm not an expert on bees. On bee, dance language, or bee anything, really. And these are the older species? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, exactly. And then you get something like, if you went for the, 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 the honeybee, the European honeybee, what it's doing is there's no need to lead anybody out, but I'm also giving you a very accurate indication of where something is. Now, the thing is, on a day like today, not to be a lot of bee foraging going on right now, but on a day like today when it's all cloudy, they can't use the, the, the waggle ends. Right? There's no sun. So they'll only use the rail ends. Close foraging. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing they can do. They, they go and forage, but they, they, they come back and you're not going to see any waggle dancing because there's there's no there's no point of reference for the angle, right? It is very neat though. Do they have the tools they need to use uh, more primitive methods, like setting up pulses or leaving scent marks? That's an excellent question. I the answer to. I doubt it. It seems when you develop a dance, you don't really need those tools anymore. No, exactly. Right? So why would you waste the cognitive architecture on that when you're something that is, you know, you can't, it's neurons in, a hundred, in hundreds and thousands, not in the, you know, 14 trillion or whatever the hell we have. Right? So probably not, but I don't know the answer to that question. It's a good question. It's always helpful having a redundant system. It is. But I mean, you've got a redundant system in the, in the round dance, and you're not going to go very far on a, on a cloudy day because most cloudy days it's shitty so, so flowers aren't open as much. Uh, so it may be raining, so you go off course. There's all kinds of dangers, really, on a day like this. Like, when was the last time you were out on a rainy day in the summer and you worried about bees staying here? Doesn't happen, because the bees are inside going, it's raining, I'm not going there. I'm going to walk around in this place and crawl over other members of my own weird, highly related family. And then wait, wait for wasps to come and kill us all. God, wasps. Wasps are horrible. Horrible. I think Schmidt gets himself stung by someone. Horrible. Let's see, the value of this, well, the hive works together anyway, so it's best to get to food quickly. And that's because of their weird haplodiploid genetics, right? <coughs> I've talked about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that weird thing with their 0.75 related to each other. So, yeah, if you didn't download this yesterday before, you used to say, we'll get there, but then I realized, I think they already talked like when I made it, this thing up, I had to in a different order. It doesn't matter. So it's not altruism. It hardly ever is. So why waste time leading others out? Also, now I'll be a little bit selfish. I may be related to y'all by 0.75, but I'll be a little selfish. You guys don't get the food. I'll be back in here. I only got food. Yeah, I'm not going to die. Are there any costs to this? Uh, hard to say there's any costs here. I mean, look. Generally, cost to communication is other animals interpreting the signal. This isn't happening here. This is inside a beehive. There aren't spies from other beehives in there sending out information. To, you know, it's not, that's not the deal. So that's not a concern here. Beehive spies somehow be a pretty good name for a band, though. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. So. That's not going to be a cost here. Other cases of communication, it's a potential cost because you're giving away your location, for example, if you're calling, things like that. That's not going to be a problem here. Um, so it's unlikely in this example. But that is a potential cost. Now, other animals in other situations do get signals, and that is a cost. For example, in uh, Tangura frogs, which live somewhere else, not here. 
probably Costa Rica. Somewhere far away. So there they are. Good looking animal. Um, the females like a call they call the wine, the wine chuck call. It gets that reference. I appreciate you getting that. It's nice. So, so that's what the females like. It attracts them. It's like bird song. It's like better example probably even is like peacock feathers. Why do they like it? It probably indicates good genes. It probably indicates parasite resistance. It's probably runaway selection. It's probably all those things. But that's what females dig. So bats like it too. And bats eat frogs. <coughs> so the bats say, you know, froggy, yes, but I like it too. So if you have a strong call, it's indicating that you can fight off the bats? No, that's the thing. It may, it may be able to, but the problem is, if I say, hey, ladies, look at me, I can fight bats, the bats are like, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> you know? And then, look, it's dinner time. It's all-you-can-eat frog day here at some chain restaurant. I don't know, I had something there. Red lobster, maybe? So. When they're alone, when it's a solitary male, this shows you how freaking selfish. Nature's really awful. So when you're sitting by yourself and you're a frog, you don't go Wayne Chuck, Wayne Chung, Wayne Chuck, Chuck Wayne. You don't do that. Why would you do that? Because you're calling attention to yourself. You come to want to call attention to yourself to get a mate, but also you don't want to be eaten. However, what if you're with a group of other frogs? At that, part, at that point, when you're a, a group of males, oh, sure, do it all you want. Because <laughs> what are the chances of you getting eaten if there's 20 frogs? Well, it's 1 in 20. <laughs> I'll take my chances. It's called the selfish herd phenomenon. Right? People often say, well, why do you know, certain animals live in herds? Why do they do that? Is it because they're cooperating? No. I only have to be faster than the slowest freaking animal. Right? So if you're being chased, that's the old, the old joke, right? Two guys are being chased by a bear. One guy bends down a type of shoes, and he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I only have to be faster than you. <laughs> Don't get to run the freaking bear. So I'm going to tie my shoes up. Same sort of thing. So when they're in a group, they will do the wine chuck call. But when they're on their own, they're like, why? Just whining over here, maybe some chucking. Never the two together. Because the bats like them. Are the bats only looking for the wine chuck? They're, they're, it's easier for them to hear the, the things together. Yeah, that, that call, it's called the wine chuck call, is easier for them to, 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 um, to hear. I don't know why. It's pretty neat, though. Probably it's under the frequency. It's probably, yeah, almost certainly, yeah. So this is a case where the signal depends on the social situation you're in. So cognitively, the, 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 the frogs have to detect, are there any species, any sort of conspecifics around here that I can kind of hide behind? They would use them as, they wouldn't be human shields, they would be frog and shields. Okay. So maybe you won't get as good a mate or a mate, but at least you won't become some bad stinger is the idea. Okay, so this has all been leading up to this, language in non-humans. 
When people talk about language in animals, the first thing, in fact, that most people come to mind, frankly, at least if you've studied this stuff at all, the first thing probably or maybe the quote dance language of the honeybees. And I don't think that's language. Um, it's cool, complicated communication, but it's not language. Is it because so, there's no back and forth? Well, it's not even that. It's there's just a sender and a receiver. It could be done, this, you know, we can do it a lot of different ways. And it doesn't change, there aren't different sentences. So all these things about human language that matter. So let's look at human language, and I mean, I'm no expert in human language. Who is taking the language class or is taking it? Oh, it's awful. Okay, so people are taking it or have taken it, so they know, you probably know more about some of these things than I do. So, what are some characteristics of human language? Um, limited versus unbounded signal set. This is one reason. There's one thing the dance language of the honeybees does. Food's there in that direction. Whereas, you know when a new thing shows up in the world? We just make up a word. And even if you've never heard the word before, yeah, you can figure out what that means. I remember Sarah Shuttleworth using a great example, the word email. It's when it first came out which was in popular parlance, well, at least among academics, late 80s. Okay? People said electronic mail at first. And then people started saying email. Everyone knew what it meant. They didn't think people were writing letters and putting batteries in them and having little wires running. Everybody knew what it meant. Because they received a message over the internet. They knew what an email was. Right? In the 1990s, another term was invented, uh, downsizing. Now, we all know what that means, firing people. Um, but you can immediately know what that means just by listening to it. You've never heard we're using that context. Or outsourcing. Right? You would know what that means. So, <clears throat> human language is pretty unbounded. There's no real boundaries. We can talk about things that don't exist. Here's one for you. Imagine if the sky was purple. You just did it. It's easy to do. It's trivially easy to do. That's something you have never seen except in the ninth, late 1960s Adventures of Spider-Man comics, when the sky has all kinds of crazy colors, and he talks to himself a lot. Right? So. But could we imagine that because it is possible? It's not on Earth. What, what, imagine if the sky was plaid. How's that? You just did, didn't you? It doesn't. It, it, that can't be a thing. Yet you can imagine it, right? I don't like that thought. No, that's fair. But it's also you. But you, you can do it enough. You can imagine enough. You can say I don't like it, right? A bee doing a dance is saying food over there that distance. It's cool, but it's not language. Okay. So that's one thing. The signal set is bounded versus unbounded. A a vervet monkey doing a, a predator call saying, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a dangerous predator over there is telling the other vervet monkeys in the colony, there's a dangerous predator over there. Everybody knows what that means. But it doesn't also say when it's finished, boy, were you guys kind of scared there? <laughs> it doesn't do that. There's something extra that we do, something special. So, and this sort of fits together, 
the idea of referencing things and situational uh, freedom. We can talk about things again that aren't there and things that don't literally or can't by its size exist. So I could say to you, imagine if, or I could say, let's something simple that, you know, so situational freedom. Outside the situation, I can talk about something else that has nothing to do with what the class is supposed to be about. And if it's been the class of me before, more than 10 minutes, you might have been locked. Which reminds me of a story, right? I, do that. I mean, I'm no Tom O'Flanagan. Maybe a couple of you. This time in Saskatchewan. But we can talk about things outside the context they're supposed to be in. When the vervet monkey is giving the call, it doesn't also say, oh, also, by the way, later I'll be going over there and pooping. Because they're monkeys. This, this is what they're going to talk about. They don't plan. Yeah, I don't think they don't plan. We don't know that. That's a hard thing to get in your head if they plan or not, but they don't talk about, they don't communicate about it, whereas we can. After work, I'm, after this class, I'm going to mix this into a podcast, upload it, go home, and take the Amazon package that is on my front porch into the house. <laughs> no, that's literally what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then I'm going to take these steaks and sous vide them. I've got it all planned. And I can talk about intention. I am going to do this because of this. I will cook dinner and it'll be ready by about a quarter after five because my wife has a weaving her goes to her weaving group at night on Wednesday nights and has to be out of the house by about six fifty. So she weaves. We have a loom there. Pretty great. So if there's ever a nuclear holocaust or some sort of thing, if you need cloth, don't come to our house. We'll be guarding it with shotguns. Does she spin her own yard? I don't know if she, she hasn't done that. Don't shh. Next thing you know, we'll have a spinning wheel, which would be actually pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, intention. So now we're going to talk. Now let's think about this. Now we're going to, the other thing, you think of the dance language, what else do you think of? You think of apes learning human language, supposedly, not really. Right? You think about Coco and Kanzi and all these other animals that have learned sign language. For those of you that didn't get that when I was listening, I was being sarcastic with air quote thingies. Okay. It's cool. When you see video, and you don't actually know American Sign Language, when you see video of Coco or of any of these other animals doing what people report to be American Sign Language, it's very impressive. It boggles your mind, actually. And of course, usually the presenter, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about the people who do this work. But they'll say, so you see what it's saying here? It's saying, give ball, give ball, give ball. And you go, oh, yeah, good. Because I don't speak sign language. I've always wanted to be a person in the class that could do sign language, and we could show them some video, and they go, that's just gibberish. This isn't give ball. 
this, your hands are itchy. So it's neat, and they are using signs, and sometimes you can see the signs are clear, and they've been taught these signs, and they're expressing their want of something. Oh, I'd like one of those. And they'll say, you know, juice, 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 juice. I don't know what they, I don't know, is that juice? I don't know. Whatever it is, they'll do that, and they'll get the juice, and it's all very neat, except that it's the same as teaching a pigeon to peck a freaking triangle to get food. It looks neat because we have people, we know people who are deaf and learn sign language or who have deaf relatives and learn sign language or have learned as a translator or whatever. So we see people do it and then we see they go, look, Coco the gorilla. It, it's cat died and now it's been mourning. I don't think it probably, maybe it is. But don't overdo it. So, like I said, don't be impressed by shiny objects. Um, Sarah talked about, uh, in a thing I read, about how there's a difference between what, 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 what linguists think of and what people train animals to do, so these psychologists training animals to do sign language are trying to do. Uh, sign language, you should say. And it says an anthropologist and a missionary. An anthropologist is there to watch the animals. A missionary is there to civilize them. And that's kind of like what you're doing. It's like, we're going to teach you how to be a human now. After we've taught you how to do sign language, we'll teach you about pants. And then wearing a cap. Perhaps a jaunty beret of some sort. And also spread the Christian gospel. Good, and spread the Christian gospel, obviously, because eventually you want to claim all the eight lands for yourself and for your God. So there's sort of two approaches. It's the old-timey approach, which is, it seems to me, which is, I wonder if rats can learn what people learn. I wonder if the apes can learn. It's, right? That goes back to that whole thing. I wonder if we can teach a chin American sign language. Why is that an interesting question? In the end, you've taught it to, it would be pretty neat, but who invented American Sign Language? Wasn't freaking chips. Right? So, we, and the final thing we have to keep in mind is how do we, can we even tell if they're using language? Okay, so that was just some guidelines. And of course it leads, as I mentioned here, to a planet where apes evolved from men. It is absurd. Hands off me, you stinking dirty ape! Charlton Heston. And scene. So, what can we learn from this? Can animals learn human language? And as I mentioned, this is a stupid question. It's kind of like saying, why can't birds drive? Why? Why are we asking this? I don't get it. Is it? Now, I think it may be driven by people having a need to communicate with animals. A sort of a Dr. Doolittle kind of thing. So they can say, you know what chimps think of people? And you know what the next thing after that is? Chimps with Twitter accounts. Like, it's, it's, you know that's the next step. And now we're going to go to a chimp, uh, chimps reaction to Trump's election. And they're just throwing shit everywhere. That's Which would be their reaction to every election, by the way. That was not political. And now, over to the chimp. And the chimp does the chimp news. 
you know. I think it's a misguided sort of Dr. Doolittle type thing. I really do. Okay, what aspects of language do we have for communication that maybe animals also use? That's a better way to look at it. <coughs> Can they learn productive speech? Right? Can they say things they've never heard or seen with the signs before? That would be cool. One of the neat things we do is that we say and think sentences that we have never said or thought before. So, we did all point. Get enough of them together and they call it a book. Yeah. We, this is something we do all, we take it for granted. Right? You know that when you're speaking to someone, in fact, we, we know when we're speaking to someone who only repeats back what we say, Right? Or only repeats things they've heard before, we usually think, well, it's echolalia. That's like uh, happens in autism, things like that. And it's impressive when you say, have a kid with autism, like I do, when the first time they actually start saying things that aren't just things they've heard you say. Right? So, this would be can they learn to do this sort of productive speech thing that we do? It doesn't have to be speech, it can be science. Nothing else has the gear to do what they, we do with our voices. So we, that's not a thing we're going to have this way. But we can use something like maybe a, a symbol board or using signs. Sure, that's fair. Uh, we could look at uh, parrots. Right? Learning to do this kind of thing. Because parrots actually can mimic human speech. So we can get a parrot to learn to do this. They do productive speech. Say things they've never heard said before, or put idea even better, put ideas together they've never had put together in front of them. So when you teach a parrot, for example, what different colors mean, which they can do, right? That's a thing. And then you teach it different shapes, and then you say, and you teach it what you mean when you say, what's this? And they respond, and then you show it a green triangle, and it's never seen green and triangle together before, and it goes, green triangle? That's impressive. That's impressive. Problem with that work is it's an end of about two in the history of all of it. It's Alex the Great Parrot, who's dead now, and one other parrot. <laughs> right? So that's impressive. Is it language? It's... Could you say it's it, it might be, but also the, 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 the issue here is if I teach a pigeon, if I can teach a pigeon to peck a key for red, a green, a key for triangle, and then I show it a green triangle and it can tell me what a green triangle is, is that the same as language? I don't know. I think we get, like I said, don't be impressed by short, shiny objects again. We have a, a pigeon makes a noise when the person pigeon should have to vote. You hear a lot that apes have the linguistic abilities of, of small children, right? Of maybe a two or a three. And sometimes you'll hear like, oh, Kanzi has says the vocabulary of a five year old. You'll hear that. Five-year-old, if I hard to believe. Um, you also saw we talked about that stuff with the, the tool use the other day and the artificial fruit that the chimps didn't do 
none of them did as well as a, like a two and a half year old on that task. So it seems unlikely if they can't learn to use tools, because they have hands that you know, they can manipulate better than a two and a half year old, small young toddler, it seems unlikely they have a vocabulary that's better. Seems unlikely. So when I say to the dog, want to go for a walk, and the dog gets all excited, right? You guys, some of you guys have dogs, and you know that. You say to the dog, you want to have a walk, go for a walk, and the dog just goes, so it's running all over the place, getting all excited. You think, you say, look, my dog knows what that means. If you look at the dog and say, do you not want to go for a walk? See what happens there. <laughs> How would you not like to go for a walk? Your dog's going apeshit, like, where's the walk? And you can even taught your dog the word no, which many of us have, yeah? So no going for a walk. Your dog's like, I heard going for a walk. That's all I cried. It's just getting excited, right? So it's not putting those things together. This is what I, my concern always is with this. As getting excited about human language with non-human animals. I don't know that apes are like little kids. I just think the, the, the comparison's odd to me. I'll say that. Yeah, it's language really the human special. Wow. There's something special about language, that's for damn sure. But is it well, she didn't say that. Is it maybe there's something special about humans? Not that about language. So our cognitive abilities are maybe so far off the map compared to other animals. Because a lot of learning language, not all of it, but a lot of it actually is operating conditioning problems. <laughs> right? It's associative. Right? Cup. Eventually hit kids and they eventually learn the word cup. They, they show stimulus generalization. All these things that are shown in other kinds of learning. Right? My daughter thought all animals were called, uh, uh, well, she was learning two languages at once. She said all, all, all animals were shut. All were cats. Because we had the cats. So she, we go by cows. She goes, shut. Now she was a year and a half old. She's 25 now. She knows that other animals have different names. That would be great. I've always thought, of, my friend Ian used to say, you wanted, when he had a kid, he wanted to teach it one thing that was completely wrong, just for fun. Right? Like teach a kid like the word for hamburger is vinegar, just to see what happens. Which is no way you could do that. I mean, you could, but it would take a lot of work. Also, they probably just learned the term through, through other things. This is the problem. So you have to monitor all the mobile times. So the practical joke would be horrible. A friend of mine, though, my friend Dan, um, mispronounced a name of a, uh, the capital, I think it was the capital of Switzerland. No, a city in Switzerland. <coughs> he mispronounced Zurich as Zurich. Always around his daughter. And she thought it was Zurich until someone told her until she was in her 20s. Because he thought about that, and he thought the way to do it is to think of something they're not going to run into. It's not even that wrong. No, but in English it's wrong. Yeah. In English it would make more sense to pronounce it Zurich. Yeah, maybe. But the point is, I think it was that. It was some place in Switzerland that he told her the uh, mispronunciation of. And it was great when he did this. Because it's harmless, yet fun. Anyway, is language learning special? A lot of it is opera conditioning, and I think. Uh, I could maybe, I'll, maybe I'll post the article by Chris Sturdy about that. Uh, that it's not, language learning is pretty neat, 
And it's special, but I don't know that it's as special as it has always been made out to be, let's say that. Um, but I think human cognition is special. And our ability to use language is special. And I may just be hedging there. It's a good possibility. Better question. How the hell did this even start? Where does human language even come from? Probably grunting. Well, I don't know. Does the sounds, the sounds come first, or is it gestures? Right? I don't know. And we can't, that's a question we can't know the answer to until my time machine is complete. But I've said too much. I don't have a time machine, okay? But that's, that's, that, that's exactly what you'd expect me to say, isn't it? If I had a time machine. But this is a question. Those of you guys who've taken the language class or taking it, have you talked about that? Is that something that comes up? Where does language even come from? I mean, I wouldn't expect it would, but I'm curious if it does. It does? It came up um, last year. Nice. And? Um, a lot of speculation. And well, it's got to be speculation. Lots of people believe it was gestures first. Yeah. This is what I thought was the most reasonable most <coughs> thing. Especially, especially with long-distance communication. Okay. Like hunting and whatnot. Right. And especially the, the extreme development of our larynx. Something so, happened there, yeah. It, it previously was incapable of making such a range. Yeah, and that would be probably pre-homo habilis, right? Yeah. Computographic and shot first. <laughs> yeah, we didn't invent writing until pretty recently. No, like drawn. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I'm saying it's something that can express an abstract idea. We can expect to express abstract ideas with language, right? And you can do it with written language, but pictographic language is pretty hard to do. Like, I can draw... Like those pictograms you see uh, in um, um, uh, late 20, 30,000 years ago in caves and stuff like that in Spain. I, sure, they look, guys hunting a, an art or something. Got it. But he's not saying, also, I believe the problem with our recent local chieftain. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing abstract there. Or he's not saying, where, what happens when we die? Which I'm sure people were th thinking about sitting around campfires 30, 50, 100, 200,000 years ago. Because they were burying their dead. So something's going on. So you've got to wonder, where does this come from? And on that note, we'll stop for today. And we'll continue talking about this on Monday. Uh, thanks a lot. Trust me
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures in Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.